the sixth verse, I do want to remind you of two things, is that in the lobby, the um, boutique is there for you to pick up a last-minute gift for someone you forgot or someone gave you a gift. You go, oh, no, i got to give them a gift now. So the boutique will be open. And I also want to make you aware that Miss Teresa Graham has a booth set up in the mall straight across from Hickson's by the big shoe, shoe place. And uh, she's got some incredible stuff there, some jewelry, some knickknacks, some wonderful things. And uh, she has supported us for over 20 years. And I thought it'd be okay if we would go by there and support her and support her business. How many would, would, would say, I'll, I'll at least go by and look at it? Good, I can't see any hands because it's dark. So I'm just assuming that every hand is waving at me. And we're going to go by and uh, honor them. An elderly dad in Oklahoma City called his son in New York City and said, son, I want you to hear it from me. Your mom and I are getting a divorce. After 45 years of marriage, I can't stand her. She can't stand me. We're going to separate, go our own way, and I wanted you to hear it personally from me. And the son said, no way, Dad. Dad, you've got to be kidding. Dad, you've got to shut this. Dad, you and Mom can't get a divorce. I, I, can't, I can't stand this, Dad. You can't do this. And the dad said, call your sister in Hong Kong and tell her that we're getting divorced. So hung up the phone. The son calls his sister in Hong Kong and said, you're not going to believe what's going on. Mom and Dad are getting divorced. They, 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 they're, they're, they're in everything. And the daughter said, no, they're not. You tell Mom and Dad we'll fly in tomorrow and we'll solve this. Just not do anything till we get there. The son calls his dad back and said, Dad, don't you do a thing. Sis and I will be there in the morning, and we'll talk this through. Dad hangs up the phone, looks at his wife, and says, well, it's confirmed. The kids will be here for Christmas, and they're paying their own way. <laughs> is, that not a great, is that not a great story? I just wanted to share it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. What a wonderful gift that God gave us, his only begotten son. I'd like to share a reading this morning from Max Licato, but before I do that, I told you last Sunday that there would be a quiz this Sunday concerning the teaching last week. So here we go. On the first day of Christmas, what did our true love give to us? A partridge in a pear tree, which represented Jesus on the tree. On the second day of Christmas, what did our true love give us? Which represented Old Testament, Missy, good, New Testament. On the third day of Christmas, our true love gave us three, oh, Samantha did that. Thank you, Samantha. Three French hens, and what do the three French hens represent? Two things, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and what was the other? Faith, hope, and love. Uh-oh, we're getting a little slack here. On the fourth day of Christmas, our true love gave to us, which represented the four Gospels. Very good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. On the fifth day of Christmas, our true love gave to us, which represented what? Five books of law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number two. And what else? The five gifts that Christ gave the church. Apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, and pastor. On the sixth day of Christmas, our true love gave to us, was it six geese laying? And that represented the six days of creation. Very good. On the seventh day of Christmas, our true love gave to us, what was the seventh day? Anybody? Was it seven lords of leaping? Seven swans of swimming, which represent the gifts, the gifts, 
the gifts of the Spirit, all the gifts, right? On the eighth day of Christmas, our true love gave to us eight maids of milking, and that represents the eight Beatitudes. You're doing, you're doing a little, little better. On the, ninth, on the ninth day of Christmas, our true love gave to us nine what? Nine ladies dancing, which represents the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. And on the 10th day of Christmas, our true love gave to us 10 lords of leaping, which represent the Ten Commandments. Very good, Missy. You, you win the prize. On the 11th day of Christmas, our true love gave to us 11 pipers, pipe, which represents the 11 disciples that died for the cause. Kevin, this section is on it today. Okay, this section, get this one. The 12th day of Christmas, our true love gave to us 12 drummers dramming, which represent the 10 creeds of the, of the apostles' doctrine. Hey, give yourself a hand. You get a home run. Home run. It is my desire, and I will try to read this without becoming emotional. I remember a very, very special day in my life, almost, almost 33 years ago, Around this season, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land with Marcus and Joni and a plethora of friends. And there, I experienced probably one of the saddest, most bittersweet moments when I approached the Welling Wall. If you've never been to the Welling Wall, it's an actual part of Jerusalem that they claim survived the Romans destroying the temple. And the Welling Wall has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cracks in it. And in the cracks, people have taken their prayer requests, written it down, folded a little piece of paper, and have tucked it in the wall. And when you look at the wall, there are thousands. There are thousands of requests. And there I wrote down on a piece of paper that God would heal my marriage and put it in the wall. But while I was there, I, 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 I noticed several Jewish, some rabbis, some in, in preparation to be rabbis, they were reading from the Torah, and they were moving. And they were, if, you ever, if you ever see me worship, I, I try to worship moving. It's because they didn't want to fall asleep reading the Word of God. And they're, they're reading and they're asking the Lord to send the Messiah. The tragedy is the Messiah has already come, and they missed it. And they missed it. What a sad, that was a sad day when I stood there and watched hundreds of young men wailing. They, they, that's why they call it the wailing wall. Wailing for the deliverer, wailing for the Prince of Peace, and the Prince of Peace has already come. Max Licato penned some words entitled, Christmas, it began in a manger, and I'm going to attempt to share that with you this morning. Again, if someone begins to snore or anything, get one of the ushers, and we'll rudely wake them up. Are you ready? Everybody ready? Curious is this royal throne room. No tapestries covering the windows. No velvet garment on the Cartesians. And instead of a golden scepter, the king holds a crudely whittled olive wood rattle. Curious the sounds in the court. Cows munching, hooves crunching, a mother humming, a baby nursing. It could have begun anywhere, the story of the king. But curiously, it began in a manger. Step into the doorway. Let's peek through the window. He is here. The noise and bustle began earlier than usual in the village. As night gave way to dawn, people were already on the streets. Vendors were positioning themselves on the corners of the most heavily traveled avenues. Store owners were unlocking the doors of their shops. 
Children were awakened by the exciting barking of the street dogs and the complaints of donkeys pulling carts. The owner of the inn had awakened earlier than most in town. After all, the inn was full. All the beds were taken. Every available matter blanket had been put to use. Soon all the customers would be stirring, and there would be a lot of work to do. One's imagination is kindled, thinking about the conversation of the innkeeper and his family at the breakfast table. Did anyone mention the arrival of the young couple the night before? Did anyone comment on the pregnancy of the girl riding the donkey? Perhaps, perhaps someone raised the subject, but at best it was raised, not discussed. There was nothing that novel about them. They were possibly one of the many families that were turned away that night. Besides, who had time to talk about them when there was so much excitement in the air? Who could remember when such commerce had hit the village? No, it's doubtful that anybody mentioned the couple's arrival or wondered about the condition of the girl. They were too busy. The day was upon them. The day's bread had to be made. The morning chores had to be done. There was too much to do to imagine that the impossible had occurred. God entered the world. As a baby. Yet, were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a particular scene they would behold. The stable stinks like stables do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard, the hay is scarce. Cobwebs cling to the ceiling, and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in doubt, no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. God goes to those who have time to hear them. So in this cloudless night, he went to simple, ordinary shepherds. Next, the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now the excitement has subsided a bit. Now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow weary. He still hasn't figured it out. The mystery of the event still puzzles him. But he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What is important is that the baby is fine and Mary is safe. As sleep comes, he remembers the angel told him to use Jesus. We will call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks in the face of her baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. At this point in history, the human being who understands who God is and what he is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off of him. Somehow Mary knows she is holding God so this is he, the omnipotent, in one instant makes himself breakable. He who had been spirit becomes pierceable. He was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who stains the world with the word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young teenager. God is a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the water and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose cries were heard by a peasant girl in a sleepy 
carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And were it not for the group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the streets with him, and the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I would ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is irreverent. Well, almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep humanity out of incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. Pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. Look at somebody and say, are you still awake? But don't do it. For heaven's sakes, don't let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. Listen to him. Love your neighbor was spoken by a man whose neighbors tried to kill him. The challenge to leave family for the gospel was issued by one who kissed his mother goodbye in the doorway. Pray for those who persecute you came from the light that would came from the lips that would soon be begging God to forgive his murderers. I am with you always are the words of a God who in one instant did the impossible to make it all possible for you and me. He who was rich became poor so that we were poor be made rich. It all happened in a moment, in one moment, in one remarkable moment, the word became flesh. There will be another. There'll be an instantaneous transformation. You see the word becoming man, God made it possible for man to see God. When Jesus went home, he left the back door open. Look at somebody and say, praise the Lord. As a result, we will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The first transformation, The first moment of transformation went unnoticed by the world. But you can bet your sweet September, whatever that means, that your second one won't. The next time you use the phrase, just a moment, remember, that's all the time it took him to change this world. Mary's prayer. God, O infant God, heaven's fairest child, conceived by the union of divine grace, With that of disgrace, sleep well. Sleep well, bask in the coolness of this night, bright with diamonds. Sleep well, for the herds of angels, the herds of anger simmers nearby. Enjoy the silence of the crib, for the noise of confusion rumble in your future. Savor the sweet safety of my arms, for as day is coming soon, when I can no longer hold you. You have no gold, you will grasp no pen, guide no brush. Know your tiny hands are reserved for works more precious. To touch a leper's open wound. To wipe a widow's weary tear. To claw the ground of Gethsemane. 
Your hands, so tiny, so white, clutch tonight in an infant's fist. They aren't designed to hold a scepter nor wave from a palace balcony. They're reserved instead for a Roman spike that will staple them to a Roman cross. Sleep deeply, tiny eyes. Sleep while you can. But soon the blurriness will clear, and you will see the mess we have made of your word, world. You will see our nakedness, for we cannot hide. You will see our selfishness, for we cannot give. You will see our pain, for we cannot heal. O oh, eyes that will see hell's darkest pit and witness her ugly prints, sleep, please sleep, sleep while you can. Lie still, tiny mouth. Lie still, mouth from which eternity will speak. Tiny tongue that will soon summon the dead, that will define grace, that will silence our foolishness. Rosebed lips upon which write a starborn kiss of forgiveness to those who believe you and of death to those who deny you. Lie still. And tiny feet cupped in the palm of my hand rest, for many difficult steps lie ahead for you. Do you taste the dust of the trails you will travel? Do you feel the cold seawater upon which you will walk? Somebody say page two. Rest, tiny feet. Rest today so that tomorrow you might walk with power. Rest for millions who follow in your steps. And a little heart, holy heart, pumped, pumping the blood of life through the universe. How many times will we break you? You'll be torn by the thorns of our accusations. You'll be ravaged by the cancer of our sin. You'll be crushed under the weight of your own sorrow. And you'll be pierced by the spear of our rejection. Get in all that piercing and that ultimate ripping of muscle and membrane and that final rush of blood and water, you will find rest. Your hands will be free, your eyes will see justice, your lips will smile, and your feet will carry you home. And there you'll rest again this time in the embrace of your Father. 25 questions that we would like to ask Mary this morning. What was it like watching him pray? How did he respond when he saw other kids giggling in the synagogue? When he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? When he saw a lamb being led to a slaughter, did he act differently? Did you ever see him with a distant look on his face, as if he was listening to someone you couldn't hear? How did he act at funerals? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep in your arms? Did, he, did you ever, this is cool, did you ever try to count the stars with him and succeed? Did he ever come home with a black eye? How did he act when he got his first haircut? Do you have any friends by the name of Judas? Did he do well in school? Did you ever scold him? Did, ever, did he ever have to ask a question about Scripture? What do you think he thought when he saw a prostitute offering to the highest bidder the body he made? Did he ever get angry when someone was dishonest with him? Did you ever catch him pensively looking at the flesh on his, in, on his own arm while holding a clod of dirt? Did he ever wake up afraid? Who was his best friend? When someone referred to Satan, how did he act? Did you ever accidentally call him Father? What did he and his cousin John talk about as kids? Did his other brothers and sisters understand what was happening? Did you ever think, that's God eating my oatmeal? 
Questions for Gabriel. Gabriel must have scratched his head at this one. He wasn't one to question God. And when the word got out that God was to become man, Gabriel was enthused. He could envision the moment. The Messiah in a blazing chariot. The king descending on a fiery cloud. An explosion of light from which the Messiah would emerge. That's what he expected. What he never expected, however, was what he got. A slip of paper with a Nazarene address. God would become a baby at red, tell the mother to name the child Jesus, and tell her not to be afraid. Gabriel was never one to question, but this time he had to wonder. God will become a baby? Gabriel had seen babies before. He had been the platoon leader on the bulrush operation. He remembered what little Moses looked like. That's okay for humans, he thought to himself. But God? The heavens can't contain him. How could a body? Besides, have you seen what comes out of those babies? Hardly befitting for the creator of the universe. Babies must be carried and fed, bounced, and bathed. To imagine someone burping God on her shoulder, that was beyond what even an angel could imagine. And what of this name? What was it? Jesus? Such a common name. There's a Jesus in every cul-de-sac. Come on, even Gabriel had more punch to it than Jesus. Call the baby eminence or majesty or heaven sent. Anything but Jesus. So Gabriel scratched his head. What happened in the good old days? The Sodom and Gomorrah stuff, flooding the globe, flaming swords. That's the action he liked. But Gabriel had his orders. Take the message to Mary. Must be a special girl, he assumes he traveled. But Gabriel was in for another shock. One peak told him Mary was no queen. The mother-to-be of God was not regal. She was a Jewish peasant who had barely outgrown acne and had a crush on a guy named Joe. And speaking of Joe, what does this fellow know? Might as well be a weaver in Spain or a cobbler in Greece. He was a carpenter. Look at him over there, sawdust in his beard and nails in his hands. Joseph, a common laborer is going to be charged with giving food to God? What if he gets laid off? What if he gets cranky? What if he decides to run off with a pretty girl from down the street? Then where will we be? It was all Gabriel could do to keep from turning back. This is a peculiar idea you have, God. He must have muttered to himself. Are God's guardians given to such musings? Are we? Are we stunned by God's coming? Still staggered by the event? Does Christmas still spawn the same speechless wonder it did 2,000 years? years ago. I've been asking that question lately to myself. As I write, Christmas is only days away and something just happened that has me concerned. The place of the holidays may be overshadowing. The pace of the holidays may be overshadowing the purpose of the holidays. I saw a manger in the mall. Correct that. I barely saw a manger in the mall. I almost didn't see it. I was in a hurry. Guests were coming. Santa dropping in. Sermons to be prepared. Service to be planned presents to be purchased. The crush of things was so great, the crutch of Christ was almost ignored. I nearly missed it. And had it not been for a child and his father, I would have. But out of the corner of my eye, I saw them. The little boy, three, maybe four years old, in jeans and high tops, staring at the manger's infant. The father in a baseball hat and work clothes, looking over his son's shoulder, gesturing first at Joseph, then Mary, then the baby. He was telling the little fellow, the story. And oh, the twinkle in the boy's eyes, the wonder on his little face. He didn't speak. He just listened. 
And I didn't move. I just watched. What questions were filling the little boy? And why is it that out of a hundred or so of God's children, only two paused to consider the son? What is this December demon that steals our eyes and steals our tongues? Isn't this the season to pause and pose Gabriel's questions? The tragedy is not that we can't answer them, but that we are too busy to ask them. Only heaven knows how long Gabriel fluttered unseated above Mary before he took a breath and broke the news. But he did. He told her the name. He told her the plan. He told her not to be afraid. And when he announced, with God, nothing is impossible, he said it as much to himself as for her. For even though he couldn't answer all the questions, he knew who could, and that was enough. And enough, though, we can't answer them all. Taking time to ask a few would be a good start. Christmas night. It's Christmas night. The house is quiet. Even the crackle is gone from the fireplace. Warm colds issue a lighthouse glow in the darkened den. Stockings hang empty on the mantel. The tree stands naked in the corner. Christmas cards, tinsels, and memories remind Christmas night of Christmas Day. It's Christmas night. What a day it's been. Spiced tea, Santa Claus, cranberry sauce. Thank you so much. You shouldn't have. Grandma's on the phone, knee-deep wrapping paper. It just fits, flashing cameras. It's Christmas night. The girls are in bed. Jenna dreams of her talking big bird and clutches her new purse. Andrea sleeps her new Santa pajamas. It's Christmas night. The tree that only yesterday grew from soil made of gifts, again grown from the Christmas tree stand. Presents are now possessions. Wrapping paper is bagged and placed in the trash cans. The dishes are washed and leftover turkey awaits next week's sandwiches. It's Christmas night. The last of the carolers appear on the 10 o'clock news. The last of the apple pie was eaten by my brother-in-law. And the last of the Christmas albums have all played out. It's Christmas night. It's midnight hours chime and I should be asleep and I'm awake. I'm kept awake by one stunning thought. The world was different this week. It was temporarily transformed. The magic dust of Christmas glitters on the cheeks of humanity, even so briefly, reminding us of what is worth having and what we were intended to be. We forget our compulsion with whining, wooing, and warring. We put away our ladders and ledgers. We hung up our stopwatches and weapons. We stepped off our racetracks and roller coaster and looked outward towards a star. Bethlehem. Tis a season to be jolly because more than any other time we think of him. More than in any other season, his name is on our lips. And the result, for a few precious hours, our heavenly yearnings intermesh and we become a chorus. A ragtag chorus of longshoresmen, Boston lawyers, illegal immigrants, housewives, and a thousand other peculiar persons who are banking that Bethlehem's mystery is in reality a reality. Come and behold him, we sing, stirring even the sleepiest of shepherds and pointing them toward the Christ child. For a few precious hours he's beheld, Christ the Lord. Those who pass the year without seeing him suddenly see him. People who are accustomed to using his name in vain pause to use it in praise. Eyes now, now free of the blinders of self, marvel at his majesty. All of a sudden, he's everywhere. In the grin of the policeman as he drives his paddy wagon full of prisons to the orphanage. 
in the twinkle in the eyes of the Taiwanese waiter as he tells of his oncoming Christmas trip to see his kids, in the emotion of a father who's too thankful to finish the dinner table prayer. He has a tears in the eyes of the mother as she welcomes her home son, her son home from overseas. And the solemn silence of the crowd of all shopping mall shoppers as the elementary school chorus sings, Away to manger. Emmanuel, he's with us. God came near. It's Christmas night. In a few hours, the cleanup will begin. Lights will come down. Trees will be thrown out. Size 36 will exchange for size 40. Eggnog will be on sale for half price. Soon life will be normal again. December's generosity will become January's payments. Hello, and the magic will begin to fade. In closing, but for the moment, the magic is still in the air. Maybe that's why I'm still awake. I want to savor the spirit just a bit more. I want to pray for those that beheld him today and will look for him next August. I can't help linger on one fanciful thought. If he can do so much with such timid prayers lamely offered in December, how much more could he do if we thought of him every day? Incredible writing by Max Licato. Just another one of the great things that God has given him. Incredible ability to communicate with words and phrases. But what a thought. It came to me this morning as I was reading this out loud to make sure that I pronounced all the words correctly. I thought about telling the family to this, this year leave out one thing from the Christmas tree or leave out one thing from the Christmas card or leave out one thing from the Christmas wrapping to put it in a place where every day we're reminded how special Christmas really is. When you think of all the greatest Christmases you've ever had, when you think of the the way your parents surprised you with, with things that you didn't even know they had the ability to acquire for you, when you think of what, what you watch by winning the, the, the lottery, by what kind of Christmas gifts you could buy, the best Christmas gift is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This morning, if you have wandered away from God in this Christmas season and your heart's not really where it's supposed to be, we take a moment and pause and just, uh, just acknowledge no longer a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, no longer a carpenter being trained by his father, no longer a shepherd teaching disciples, no longer on a cross, no longer in a tomb, but risen, coming at the right hand of the Father, able today to come into our heart, wash away our sins, forgive us of our mistakes, be the Lord of our life, we ask those things in Jesus' name. This morning, we are going to participate in the Eucharist, which simply means the body of Christ. Jesus said, do this oft in remembrance of me. Matter of fact, Jesus made a vow. He said, I will not eat this or drink this again.